This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. If you were asked to picture Georgetown, I think many of us would picture a bustling city filled with tourists and locals alike milling about historic pre-war buildings, housing businesses that both have been there for decades, as well as with newer, more modern businesses, especially the cafes and restaurants. But despite being a UNESCO World Heritage Site, one that we're very proud of, the city is no stranger to the loss of smaller heritage sites across the city, um, especially those that are situated just beyond beyond the boundaries of, um, just beyond the UNESCO boundaries, um, with the most recent being the, demoli- the demolition of a pre-war bungalow on Clove Hall Road. Now, to dive into this um, topic of heritage conservation in Georgetown, I'll be speaking to Kusalman Asution, Vice President of Penang Heritage Trust. Thank you so much for joining me today, Salma. Hello. Um, thanks for this opportunity to talk about heritage. I think it's a, it's one that I'm personally I'm always very excited to talk about. Now I want to know, right, as someone who has been in this field for so long, who is very close. I mean, this is a matter that's so, such that's so close to your heart. How would you describe Georgetown? You know, what makes Georgetown unique in your eyes? Well, Georgetown was one of the largest cities uh, in Southeast Asia pre-war, before the Second World War. Uh, after Singapore, of course. And uh, so in, in Malaysia, I guess we have Georgetown, which has quite a large uh, area of historic buildings, and uh, which was largely intact because of the Rent Control Act, which was only repealed in 1999. So um, this this meant that you have whole areas that are intact, streets and streets of uh, historic buildings. And that, that provides an experience which is quite unique uh, in Malaysia, of course, Malacca is much older, mm-hmm. um, and but the area is not quite so big. And um, Georgetown, as as a port that was really thriving, you know, until uh, up to the mid twentieth, I mean, up to the twentieth century. So that uh, makes it like commercially a very commercially viable place. And um, um, I think when when I first started, you know, getting involved in heritage, people did not appreciate. Uh, what these old buildings could do or mm-hmm. what they meant or, you know, what the cultural significance was or what the potential of the, the, the heritage site was. So then I felt that, you know, this this is a way that I could contribute to make, to make people realise the immense potential of this place, you know. Mm. I think a lot, of pe- a lot of us are familiar with probably the more famous streets or the more famous sites in Georgetown, especially those within the World Heritage Site, right? But I want to also bring in this um, news report of a recent demolition of that pre-war bungalow on Clove Hall Road because some of us, you know, some people who are probably not as familiar with heritage conservation might then ask, you know, why would a seemingly random bungalow with no particular historical significance, why would that matter in the bigger picture of heritage conservation in Georgetown, right? But how would you respond to that? You know, why are buildings like this equally as important? Well, okay, it has been 15 years since, you know, World Heritage Listing. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we always start with uh, Category 1 buildings, like, you know, religious buildings. These are buildings that I think everyone would agree should be preserved. Mm -hmm. And then we, uh, you know, extended the appreciation to Category 2 buildings, which are basically historic shop houses. And um, so the we made a case for the World Heritage Site. 
But it doesn't mean that anything that's out of the World Heritage Site is not of value. In fact, um, we I thought that by now, 15 years later, people will see, you know, the uh, intrinsic value of heritage, which is not just for us, mm-hmm. it's also for the future generation. So just because we think, oh, we, oh, we might not be able to, you know, uh, we don't think it's very significant now, but it is actually... Uh, heritage is actually defined to scientific criteria. And this scientific criteria can, you know, there are some basic ones like uh, historic value, architectural value. Um, you can be, you know, the first engineering, you know, a building that used this kind of engineering or use or had this kind of uh, environmental values. And and basically all these heritage buildings uh, represent embodied carbon, for example, which is something that is, um, we we start to appreciate the importance of that as we try to reach uh, what they call net zero, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether it's reachable. But actually, as we try to low, lower our carbon emissions, we appreciate that actually old buildings represent a very sustainable way of life because they were built at a time when it was uh, they were using natural ventilation, natural lighting, and that there's so much that we can learn from heritage buildings. Um, heritage buildings can be important because they are associated with a particular personality or an event in history. You know, these are the ones that people say, oh, you you mustn't touch them. You know, they, they must be preserved. Mm-hmm. But it's not, not um, I would say not necessarily so. I mean, that is actually another layer or, or another category that, that we need to preserve. But, you know, even in general, you know, um, heritage buildings, which uh, historic buildings built before a certain period, um, have a lot of a significance that we may not realize at the moment, but after 15 years of UNESCO, I think everybody knows lah. I think everybody <laughs> understands, but they just want to understand. That's all, you know. Um, and and there are other potential uses for the buildings. So long as we have uh, planning, which is a bit far sighted, mm-hmm. which keeps high rises in a, in a place where yes, uh, you know, the certain places are zoned for cars. You can have, you know, a lot of cars going around and then you have car parks. But the historic city is not actually made for that, you know. So there are reasons to keep certain um, existing densities as they are Mm -hmm. and not just keep on building high-rises around the World Heritage Site because it it just doesn't make sense, even not from a logistics point of view. And you need, uh, you need, you know, you need all sorts of buildings like historic buildings, shop houses, bungalows, um, with gardens even, you know, which create that kind of diversity of an environment. And uh, I know it's, it's difficult from a planning point of view to keep some of these um, buildings because the owner says, oh, I want to develop. Why can't I develop? Mm. You know, and and that's where the planning law comes in. And that's where the local plan comes in, where, you know, if we, we see that there is now immense uh, support for the World Heritage Listing, and then the, there should be some political will to say that, okay, let's extend this to a tertiary zone. Because, um, you know, when this issue came up of the uh, LRT uh, hub, which was going to be built at the end of uh, Penang Road, uh, Carnarvon Street, uh, near, and I mean, next to Komta, actually, mm-hmm. next to Komta. So, um, so the there was a, a discussion that, you know, it would actually uh, block the vista, you know, so from the World Heritage Site, you see this huge, you know, uh, concrete building with, uh, okay, LRT stop is one thing. And then you're going to have how many stories of car park, 
Because right. otherwise, how can it be viable? And that's also on the his, on the side of the historic canal. So we were already talking. This, this is 20, 2015, I think 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. that you need actually a tertiary zone. And this is a buffer to the buffer, or this is um, the, the broader setting. In the UNESCO operational guidelines, it talks about a broader setting so that from the World Heritage Site, you don't see, you're not surrounded by a wall of high-rises. You don't see the, the high-rises mar- like marching towards you, you know, <laughs> until, you know, it becomes a, a ridiculous. It's just like as if you're trying to keep a, a zoo, you know, mm-hmm. of, or, or, or museumize the, the place. So actually, uh, the the logic of the of heritage should actually extend beyond the heritage site. Um, I, I know you cannot keep everything, but actually you should try to keep as much as possible because we don't know how important it is, to whom it's going to be important. Maybe to the next generation, they want they want to keep everything, you know. So sustainable development is basically you can develop now without compromising the possibility of future generations to meet their own needs, right? And we this is something that we must understand. After all, we subscribe to sustainable development goals, but you know, it's just uh, these colourful boxes on the wall. But unless you really think through it, we may not realise that, um, you know, the uh, the way that we are developing, and with, it's not according to need, it's according to greed. Because you have a glut, a glut of high-end condos, a, a glut of office space, uh, a glut of, you know, whatever. that, And yet, the, the construction industry has its own, you know, it's its own driving force. Mm-hmm. And it will not stop. It will not stop. So people, you know, like you and me and everybody should say, no, and let, let's think a bit deeper. Let's think a bit further and say that, you keep, what is it that we actually need? Because we are actually destroying the planet, you know, one project at a time. Mm-hmm. We're heading that way. We're heading towards, you know, our own ex- extinction, as it were or at least the extinction of many, many good values and many good things that we have in this planet. Extinction of biodiversity, for sure. Carbon emissions making the planet unlivable. So there is an environmental aspect to it, as well as there is a cultural, social aspect to it. Because, yes, the bungalow can also be put to some good use. Mm-hmm. You know, So under the uh, planning law, I as I understand it, um, the owner is entitled to, the, the owner is not entitled to maximum development, you know, whatever plot ratio. The owner is entitled to reasonable ben- beneficial use. Mm-hmm. So any owner is uh, entitled to that. So public policy has to come in to say, uh, what kind of city do we want? You know, public policy has to come and say that, okay, what is the vision of the city? Mm-hmm. You know, if this is uh, a city where people appreciate heritage, they appreciate a more cultural way of life, and it's not just uh, more and more concrete, then how do we implement this vision? And what would we like to see? You know, And how do we put in, I mean, public transport for sure is one, one uh, something that is very compatible with heritage. Mm-hmm. You know, public transport where people, more people can reach uh, the destination. You know, let's say they want to go to Georgetown. So, Georgetown becomes viable when there is good public transport because you're moving people and not cars. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the the economy becomes uh, something that uh, helps to sustain these buildings as, as well. 
Um, mm. Otherwise, you know, it's I know the maintenance cost is very high. So these things need to be thought about with the with a proper what do you call it consideration for how do we maximize heritage conservation? Not mm. oh, what can we knock down tomorrow? You know. <laughs> Mm. Okay. You're right. I mean, mm. public transportation would make such a difference, but it's not as simple as just okay. An LRT would solve your problem because you have to look at. From what I understand, you have to look at whether it's compatible or not with the heritage that you want to preserve, right? Yeah. No, the LRT thing is that uh, because it's elevated, so mm. that's one of the reasons why we don't like it. But secondly, uh, not only will it cost something like nine point five billion to build, it will cost one hundred seventy million to run and operate mm. every year. And, you know, does the Penang have that kind of uh, budget or does Penang have that kind of population along the LRT corridor to make it viable? And um, and why not something uh, which is uh, doesn't have to be so, you know, it's like over-designed over for the problem. Like mm. you're trying to solve a, a small problem with a big hammer, you know. So public transport is all about first and last mile. Mm-hmm. And if you have buses or mini buses or what, um, you know, last time it was trishaws, but now it could be something like human powered vehicles or mo- micro mobility that gets people to where they want, you know, and at an affordable price or even free, then that actually makes the whole city work. It makes the city hum, you know, uh, the way that it used to. And actually, so a lot of Georgetown was already quite built up, mm-hmm. you know, up to uh, Glugor and, and Tanjung Tokong and Ayo Itam. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the Georgetown that got the city status in 1957. So it was already, I think, what was the 250,000 population, you know, or more. La. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember. But what, that that city was already working very well because of public transport. And, and people say that... Um, Oh, you know, oh, but in the 70s, we had high unemployment because of, uh, you know, the loss of freeport status. So there were things leading to that because the city council was actually very efficient. But because of political reasons, the whole city council was, I mean, local elections was just abandoned or suppressed. And then the city was not properly managed. And then that led to high unemployment. So these are kind of the legacy of Georgetown that we have uh, its, you know, the physical heritage legacy, but it's also the social political legacy that we have that was um, um, kind of interrupted because of, at that time, the, the federal agenda. And then uh, we, we need to look at, okay, what is the potential? Can we go back to a working city, a city that works because people can get to what, where they want to, you know, services are provided, and and now that we have, um, we're sort of in a, you know, we we were, you know, chasing after, like industry, okay. But we're actually also moving into a post-industrial age, or, and a post-industrial age in the sense that you still have industry, but you have the service sector, it, you know, operating in a very different way. People can work from home, mm-hmm. right? And people living above the shop, people working from home. These were the kind of life, the lifestyle before in in the pre-industrial age is actually very suitable for the post-industrial age. So even if you have techie people, they like to hang out in cafes, you know, 
uh, they like to uh, um, be in a place where it's very walkable and people are mingling freely. And so it, these things are not um, uh, divided, they're not segregated. In the way that the city has been segregated because of the car, the car has de- has determined everything. Mm. And we don't we don't need that. We don't need that. We can go. We can get back to public transport to a very livable and walkable city. All right, and um, hold on to that thought for a bit because we do have to go for a quick break. I'm speaking today to Ku Salman Asution, Vice President of the Penang Heritage Trust, and we have been discussing the landscape of heritage conservation in Georgetown, and in particular tying this to the recent news of a pre-war bungalow on Clove Hall Road being demolished and, you know, why even smaller buildings matter in the larger picture of heritage conservation. We'll continue our discussion after a quick break, so keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. On the show with me today is Ku Salman Asution, Vice President of Penang Heritage Trust, and she is joining me on the show today to talk about the um, issue of heritage conservation in Georgetown and, you know, why um, we need to do better why we always need to do better when it comes to heritage conservation, not just in this particular island city, but really across Malaysia as well. Um, now, before the break, Sama, you alluded to the links um, between development and heritage conservation, but is, you know, development and heritage conservation inherently at odds with each other, or is it really just about how we've viewed and how we've done development that makes it at, at odds with heritage conservation? Yes, I think... Uh, development has been, uh, it's like a misnomer because mm-hmm. anything that makes uh, a place more suitable for cars is called development. Yes. You know, I mean, that is uh, is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we are trying actually to reduce carbon emissions, right? So we have to get out of that mindset. Uh, we have to see how uh, places can be adapted, like embodied carbon historic houses can be adapted for uh, living today you know, and not uh, how can we make something, adapt something, you know, scrape something, scrape, scrape down this the street and then adapt it for, for uh, uh, you know, uh, building into buildings which are uh, modified for cars, mm-hmm. right? So we are getting away from that because we know that we have a climate crisis. We have a climate crisis. So we should just work with whatever we have. Yes, if we have a need to build more, by all means. But I don't see the need. I see a glut, a glut, mm-hmm. glut of office space, glut of high-end condo, and um, developers uh, desperately trying to woo foreign buyers because they the there's, there are no local buyers for the at the price you know for for those high-end uh, uh, spaces, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, this is not sustainable. This is definitely not sustainable, uh, and and we. Um, we think we are still in a bubble. We think that climate change will not affect us, right? But it it is affecting us, and it will affect us. And and then you know we are just like at the at the tip where you know it's going downhill all the way. And what what is left for the you know for the future? I mean, how is the future generation going to cope on this planet and going to cope with all this overdevelopment? And at a point where you know we've chipped down the forest, we've destroyed nature to the extent that there is more man-made mass than biomass. That's, you know, there was this report. Lah. And yet we are trying to make more, you know, reclaim more islands, uh, build more and more concrete. I mean, 
uh, even though we're running out of sand. And, you know, so this is really the wrong way to go. And um, I hope that people will really rethink about the future. And heritage is the one that actually is a very good starting point. It helps us to re-examine our values, you know, our history, our place in the society, how we can live in a very, in a more humble way, you know. So I think heritage and historic buildings, I mean, historic buildings have a lot of lessons for our, for people today. Hmm. I want adjacent to that, right? I want to talk about the gentrification that has been happening in Georgetown because you can't escape it, right? And that's something that we've seen sort of rapidly um, moved in the past decade and a half, especially with the UNESCO listing. From what you've seen, has that necessarily been a good or a bad thing? Because on the one hand, one, people can say that, well, it's driving more people to the city. Um, in, in, in it, it's bringing economic gain. But on the other hand, you know, is it negatively impacting how we view heritage? I think that actually there was a lot of uh, manipulation, like property price, real estate manipulation and mm-hmm. speculation, which pushed the property prices up and above what uh, the new owners could get back in terms of rent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people buy, well, you know, or you can, they think that they can recover the investment through rental. Mm-hmm. And of course they can't. Even last time they couldn't, but at least, you know, they could recover a portion of the investment through rental. So the rentals in, in Georgetown actually have not been uh, that high and not as high as to warrant, you know, these kind of prices. And then because people... Uh, were expecting that they could just rent out the property tomorrow. So a lot of, uh, we lost uh, many of the community and the tenants who could have stayed on a bit longer. And um, it's, I, I I realized that, you know, this change will come, mm-hmm. but let's slow it down. Let's not rush the change because, you know, you want to try to retain as much community as possible. So the change has to be managed. And um, instead of, being managed, I think there was a push to say that oh, you know, the 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 properties will will uh you know will attract more and more um uh, higher 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 prices, right? So that's that speculative, and speculation, as you know, can actually uh it creates a property bubble which actually eventually will burst, mm-hmm. and and then but then the you have already um you know in a way disrupted the economy and and even. You know, this over-dependence on tourism means that the prices uh, for the local people will go up. You know, and there's local inflation. And then that that's also not good for the local people. So we we need to respect the people who are still staying here mm-hmm. and keep it keep the city livable. And then, um, you know, there are many empty buildings around. So you see the cafes, but you don't see the empty buildings. There's many empty buildings. And by all means, fill up the empty buildings. But don't try to, you know, um, chase away. But, you know, there were some good Samaritans who tried to keep their tenants for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. That means not following the market. And the market is is, is fickle. And, uh, you know, so so gentrification uh, may happen, but let's not push it along. I mean, let's not, like, encourage it, right? So let's try to slow it down and to, you know, to, to... modify or to temp- I mean that's what managing the World Heritage Site is about. But I, I don't I'm not sure if the the people who are in charge actually see that that there is a need to do that. Um so we want to um 
keep as much because the you know the outstanding universal values are also based on the existing living community. Mm-hmm. So it's meaningless if we lose the the living community, and then you just have cafes, right? I mean, that's not what yes. World Heritage is about. So um, it's so so the the outstanding universal values are that okay, it has a rich history, it's a crossroads of civilization. You know, it's a townscape and an architecture, and also it's um and it's is there's a living community, and these are the three outstanding universal values. So, what why do we keep the heritage? It's not just to keep the empty shell and turn them to cafes. So mm-hmm. we need to keep try to retain the local community as far as possible. It's not always possible, but um, you know, don't don't push it the other way and then encourage speculation. Hmm. And I guess speaking of what is um not possible as well, you know, there are in some cases, of course, in 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 the cases of heritage sites outside, um, you know, some heritage buildings outside the zone which have been demolished. You know, you hear about oh the 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 owners, of course, want to um sell it because it is private property after all. But then you also often hear that you know there's damage because of wear and tear, or maybe there are factors beyond our control, like termites, which was mentioned in the most recent um bungalow on uh, Clove Hall Road. But does that necessarily mean that, you know, some of these these buildings are simply just too old to fix and that nothing can be done? You know, is there sort of a middle ground that we can find in, in preserving heritage, but also where, you know, doing what we can? Yeah, I think uh, buildings are never too old to fix, but the skills have to be there at an affordable price. Mm-hmm. So um, th- there's a way to actually upskill you know, the existing workers, contractors and all that. And that there should be programs to do that. But um, um, which I think there have been some efforts, uh, but not not enough. And then uh, also um, the buildings are, you know, the termites set in because the buildings are abandoned. Mm-hmm. And that the one on Clove Hall had been abandoned for many years. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing that it's still standing. If mm-hmm. it's, you know... <laughs> And that's because it was very well built in the first place. So termites, of course, you can treat termites. It's not an excuse to pull something down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if the, the that's the whole thing about uh, not, I mean, keeping the buildings used means that, uh, you know, you're spreading the economic opportunities across many thousands of buildings and not just putting, concentrating them and say, okay, you can develop a high rise and then, that high-rise will try to fill up its space, right? So that means you're not spreading the benefit to many owners, Mm -hmm. but you are just letting a few people with the capital to benefit, you know, and then they put a shopping mall and then all the sundry shops around it die, right? Mm -hmm. That's what happened. It has happened in the past and it's still happening now. Mm -hmm. But in a heritage city, it shouldn't be encouraged. Um, And and that's why there are guidelines that no uh, shopping malls in the World Heritage Site. So we, so according to that same logic, in fact, uh, after World Heritage Listing, because it was quite a success, um, in terms of, you know, the uh, attracting visitors and property values. So, the people like across uh, on the other side of the boundary, like people in Hutton Lane, they were saying, "Hey, can we also be included in the World Heritage Listing?" Mm-hmm. So there were opportunities to actually extend the zone. And the, the tertiary zone will have guidelines which are not as strict as in the secondary zone or and the secondary zone is not as strict as in the core zone. So it's like that. But there will still be some guidelines so that you don't um, 
you you kind of preserve, you know, it's kind of a gra- gradation of you still see heritage, you still, you know, you shouldn't say that, oh, this is the boundary and everything else uh, beyond the boundary can be just like uh, commercial high rise. It's a very which is, narrow view. I think view. now what the vision is. Yeah, very narrow view. Yeah. Hmm. So you end up being like Kampung Baru, for example, you know, where it's surrounded. I mean, and the life in Kampung Baru is still very nice. I mean, you can appreciate the contrast, right? But if we can avoid that, you know, then we should have the foresight uh, through planning laws and through the, the local plan, which is actually only now have been exhibited. Mm-hmm. And Penang is the last state in Malaysia to have gazetted local plans. I mean, it's, it seems unbelievable. We can have a master plan. We can have a, a transport master plan. We can have a master plan for the uh, islands which have not been reclaimed. Uh, and we haven't seen the master plan for Gurney Wharf. But we have no local plan. Mm-hmm. So where is the planning priority? So actually, it should be local plan first. And we have, uh, it's 15 years, like I said, 15 years since World Heritage Listing, we have no local plan. We have, do, but on the other hand, we do have special area plans for World Heritage Site from 2016. And we have special area plan for uh, Penang Hill. And so we should have had a, a gazetted local plan a long time ago to even out the development pressures and to direct development where it should go. I mean, there, there should be high-rises somewhere. I'm not saying not, nowhere on the island, but where? Where there's proper infrastructure, mm-hmm. where there's proper, you know, uh, access, there's proper, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, sewage and infrastructure and whatever uh, uh, traffic, you know, traffic impacts and all that, that is accessible. So that's where those high-rises should go, but not everywhere on the whole island that would be haphazard development by definition, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's why historic buildings have a place and you know, high-rise modern buildings also have a place and they shouldn't all be jumbled up. And um, so to, to, to say, to try and get people to have that kind of vision is not easy because there's a lot of... Um, commercial interests or vested interests that try to assert themselves in the planning process, right? Mm-hmm. And because of that, we are losing and we, I think we're going to lose more and more heritage. Mm. So then to round up our discussion, Salma, you know, as we keep mentioning, it's been, it's go, it's nearing on 15 years, Um, you know, come June this year that, that Georgetown and Malacca were jointly inscribed into the World Heritage List. What would you like to see the local government do better when it comes to protecting heritage sites across Georgetown? And and I mean across the city, right? Not just, um, like you say, just a very narrow perspective within the boundaries. What would you like to see the local government do better? Well, I would like them to understand what the OUVs are, you know, uh, and that includes the living community. So the intangible heritage, right? So you have like the the hardware and the software. So the uh, physical heritage is the hardware and mm-hmm. the software is the, you know, the people, the intangible heritage uh, to make the whole program work. So you need both, really. Otherwise, you have an empty shell or full of cafes. <laughs> you know, how many cafes can you have, right? So actually, I know, like, for example, in Japan, uh, they're, they're very far-sighted. So they said, yes, we, we are going to have uh, cafes. Yes, we're going to have modern restaurants. Yes, we're going to have um, fan shops and kimono shops, right? But how many can you have of each? Mm-hmm. So actually, they kind of do, do surveys and they try to work out. And then they say, okay, you can allow so many of this. 
you know, and and then they they try to have like a quota, uh, you know, from year to year. So of course it's still flexible. It's still you can modify it, but it is for the best interest of to make sure that there is um, optimal uh, economic use of you know every single house, not not just a few cafes or a few of this or that, but you know it's, uh, to to actually re re uh, animate and revive and revitalize the economic use um, across the board for the majority of house owners or uh, historic building owners. And and this is a kind of very in-depth, more in-depth thinking about how to uh, how to maintain and sustain the heritage site. Uh, so I I think they and then to look at uh, sustainable development goals or sustainable development and really ask what is the meaning of sustainable development and how do we apply it to Penang and the historic city um, and not just uh, you know, let the development be dictated by developers who then when they cannot sell the buildings then go, go and put out advertisements in Hong Kong and China and say, oh, please come and buy our buildings. And then, you know, they, these people, I mean, I have no objection to foreigners buying the buildings. But these foreigners are buying it as their second, third, fourth building in a home and then they will leave it empty mm-hmm. for most of the year, you know. And, you know, are we just building this kind of properties so that they can, you know, uh, leave it empty. And, you know, what's more important? Is that more important or is it to make this city work and keep it alive and, and make sure that there are job opportunities for the local people and, you know, that the economy is humming and uh, the local economy, you know, and, and that uh, food security and, you know, our historic values are preserved. I mean, mm-hmm. So which is more important? So pay attention to the important things that make Penang what it is and keep Penang as Penang. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Salma. I've been speaking to Ku Salma Nasution, Vice President of Penang Heritage Trust about heritage conservation in Georgetown, Penang. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download the podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.